Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Everybody, I am Jamie Shaw, joined here by my co-host on the breakdown, Scott Spinelli. Scott, how's it going today? Great, Jamie. How are you today, buddy? Man, things are good down this way. Got a little bit of a tropical depression coming through Raleigh, North Carolina today, but that can't keep us away from the breakdown. Well, again, thanks to Dana Barros, you know, basketball club, uh, Travis, Stephanie, Mike. Um, you know, busy day here at Dana Barrels where a lot of AAU games going on. So I got one eye watching some uh, high school kids and prospects out here as we're doing the podcast. But um, thanks again for them allowing us to produce and film our show here. I'm super excited about today's episode. We're going to go through uh, the breakdown with Notre Dame. Um, we're going to take a different look at it entering this basketball season. We're going to actually do a deep dive into Notre Dame, the program, we're going to take a look at the personnel, the X's and O's. We're going to break down their offensive identity, their defensive identity. Um, and I can't think of a better person to be doing this with than, uh, you know, former head coach, 10-year, 20-year assistant coach, been through a lot of trials and everything in the ACC with you, Scott. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Before we jump into it, though, we already got into it a little bit. Let's introduce ourselves my name is Jamie Shaw, National Recruiting Analyst at Rivals.com. I'm also the author of one of the largest scouting services uh, in the country, the ABC Scouting Report. Um, that is me, Scott Spinelli. Why don't you tell them about you? So after graduating college, Jamie, I decided to get into coaching, and I've had an opportunity to coach at every level of basketball. Uh, as a younger coach, I was a prep school coach for six years at two different programs, helped start the Winston School program. Uh, their basketball program, we put out a lot of, you know, um, Division One guys there and it really had a lot of success. And then I ventured into the college game, uh, been at every level of, of Division One, as well as some minor leagues some NBA stuff along the way. Um, and I'm really blessed and fortunate to be in a position, you know, where I've had a lot of great experience, worked for a lot of great coaches along the way and met a lot of wonderful people. So, again, Jamie, you're one of those wonderful people that I had a chance to, to connect with through this process. Well, I'll tell you what, I've known you for the last eight or nine years, uh, known you through the recruiting process and all that type of stuff. Doing this podcast with you, this is our third installment, I didn't realize just how really, really brilliant of a basketball mind that you were. You're teaching me things as we go through this stuff with your expertise in the X's and O's. Obviously, you had to coach against these guys. You were a head coach against Mike Bray um, and all that type of stuff as well as we jump into this. But leading into our third installment here with Notre Dame, uh, we're going to go through uh, with you on the breakdown. As we said before, we're going to break down their personnel. We're going to go through the X's and O's, their offensive, defensive identity of what Mike Bray is trying to do. Mike Bray has a career 448 and to 248 uh, record at Notre Dame. His 64% win percentage has gotten him in 12 NCAA tournament appearances. As we mentioned before, as a coach who's been an assistant and scouted against him, as a coach who's been a head coach against him, what is it about Mike Bray that makes his teams, makes his program so special? Well, first of all, Jamie, it starts with his recruiting. Uh, he recruits guys um, who, again, a great system fits to how he wants to play. And with that, he loves players who can all pass, dribble, and shoot. So with the game today being that of a game that that three-point line is really, really a weapon, um, you know, Coach Bray has been able to recruit to that system and he has a lot of kids, you know, year in and year out that are three-point weapons and can really shoot the basketball. Uh, over the years, watching his teams competing against them on the, you know, on the, uh, you know, the opposition, you know, bench, uh, had a chance to really kind of, you know, watch his program and how he does things. And, you know, the offensive side of the basketball as it relates to teaching his guys the read and reaction how to play with great spacing, uh, instilling incredible confidence in his players. Um, the one thing about Coach Bray, he never gets too high or low. And, Jamie, there's something to be said in, in the ACC, Division I basketball as a coach, um, you know, having that quality, you know, his players feed off that. So whether it's a great win that they've had or whether it's a tough loss, 
you know, he's a guy as a head coach that really, you know, gives his players, um, you know, the not too high, not too low uh, motto. And it really, really carries on game in and game out, year in and year in, year out, year in and year out for their team. So understanding that y'all were coaches, y'all were opponents, y'all are trying to beat each other and everything. I know you're an incredibly detail-oriented person, Scott. You've got to have a good story about Mike Bray that kind of depicts what type of person and coach that he is. Jamie, there's a lot of examples of Coach Bray and, and, and how he's really uh, been someone over the years that I've learned a lot from in terms of his demeanor and how he you know, believes in his kids and the confidence in which he instills in them. This past season, they played at Georgia Tech, and it was a big game, uh, as every ACC game is. And during the game, Notre Dame had a big lead in the first half. I think they were up 17 or so. Georgia Tech came back and ended up winning the game on a last-second, um, you know, situation where, you know, Georgia Tech had the ball and the shot clock was down, um, and they had to shoot the ball. Um Notre Dame ended up making a play. I think Durham blocked the shot. And in a transition possession that ended the game, one of the Notre Dame plays, actually a local kid, a really, really good player, um, got the ball, Cormac Ryan. And, you know, for some reason, didn't maybe recognize time and score and didn't get a shot off. When the game was over, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame never got a shot. Georgia Tech ended up with the win. Um, as he was walking off the floor and I'm, I'm getting ready and I'm watching the Notre Dame, you know, preparing for the next time we play them. I'll never forget watching him walk over to Cormac. Cormac obviously was visibly upset and, you know, all he did was slap him in the butt and, you know, you could see his belief in the confidence that, you know, he had in, in Cormac as well as his other guys during a very tough loss. And the lesson to me here, you know, Jamie, I think this is a great example for coaches everywhere. I know you've been in gyms. I've been in gyms. You watch AAU games, high school games, uh, even college games for that matter. Um, and you watch coaches who, you know, again, we're all competitive, right? We're all very, very determined to win. But at the end of the day, these are kids and you have to understand that. And so I think what Coach Bray did that night to me, has stuck with me, and it's something that epitomizes him as a head coach. And to that point, the next game, Notre Dame played at Duke, and Cormac Ryan had 21 points at halftime, had his career high. I want to see at 28 points, and Notre Dame got the win at Duke. And so I think if coaches can understand that – you know, giving their kids confidence, not getting so caught up, um, you know, in a loss. I mean, again, we're all competitive. We all want to win. But at the same time, realizing that, you know, if a kid does make a mistake or if there is a, a, a play at the end of a game, we can all be disappointed. But, you know, there's a certain emotion that, you know, as a coach, you can get the best out of your guys and show them that you believe in them and you have confidence in them. And that one particular night, you know, watching Coach Bray's demeanor and watch how he handled that situation, um, you know, with Cormac and then saw what Cormac did the following game and for the rest of the year. Um, to me, you know, it really epitomizes who Coach Bray is uh, as a head coach. Last season, Notre Dame finished 7-11 in the ACC. They returned five of their top six scores and 82% of their total scoring off of last season's team. The leading scorer, six foot three senior point guard Prentice Hub, um, averaged fourteen point six points per game. He also led the ACC in assists at five point eight per game. How important is that to be getting your senior point guard back? And what can we expect from Prentice Hub this coming season uh, for Notre Dame? Well, well, Prentice Hub has become, you know, arguably one of the premier point guards, you know, in the ACC. He's been a kid that's played uh, a ton of minutes since he's been there as a freshman. Um, you know, he's led them to led them to some big wins over his time there. And, you know, he's going to be their their leader. You know, he's going to be the catalyst uh, this year uh, on a Notre Dame team that returns, you know, their top five three point shooters uh, from a year ago. 
and led by Prentice. Prentice, I believe, had 65 three made, 65 made three-point field goals last year. And, um, you know, left-handed kid, the ball, you know, could be in his hands. He could play off the ball, uh, plays with great fire and competitive spirit on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, he's become almost an extension of Coach Bray in a lot of ways, meaning that, you know, there are times that Prentice could miss three or four in a row um, and not get too high or low. And there's times he could make five, six in a row with deep range um, and maintain his poise and composure. But uh, to your point, Jamie, it all starts with Prentice Hub uh, for this year's upcoming Notre Dame team. The X factor for this team very well may be six foot 10 senior Nate Lashevsky. He was one of the most improved players in the ACC last year, the six foot 10 uh, four jump from 7.4 points and 30% shooting from three up to 13.3 points on 43.4% shooting from three last season. Can we expect another step taken from Nate and how big or how important is his role on this Notre Dame team success this year? Well, Lashevsky, Nate Lashevsky, he's, you know, I, we saw him a lot in, in uh, prep school. He was up here and uh, watched him quite a bit. And, you know, he's again, you know, a six foot 10 inch, you know, forward who can play in and away from the basket. Tremendous skill set. Um, his best attribute is his ability to knock down three point shots. Um, and with this year's team, they could do a lot of different, you know, um, play a lot of different combinations with him. They could play small ball and play him at the five. They could play, you know, um, big ball and play him at the three or four if they wanted to. Um, but he's a kid that over his time at Notre Dame uh, has gotten better and better. Um, you know, I think sometimes with Nate, you know, you're trying to kind of keep everything in perspective, right? You see a kid with his skill set, with his size um, and his understanding of the game, you know, at some point it's going to, it's going to all come together for him. He's shown flashes uh, of being able to put up big numbers and to make, you know, consecutive threes from deep and to do a lot of different things for their team, even in the post uh, on the offensive glass. But this is the type of kid that is probably on the verge of a major breakout where, you know, game in and game out, you know, we could see a kid like this start putting up huge numbers, uh, you know, for this year's Notre Dame team. Last season, Notre Dame finished second in conference play and three points attempted and three pointers made. They also uh, dished out the second most assists in conference play, scored the second most points in conference play. Um, their offense does a great job moving and they're creative with their spacing. Why don't you take us through their offensive identity and, and show us how Mike Bray consistently puts up so, uh, such efficient offensive numbers. Notre Dame, when it starts with Notre Dame, it starts with their transition and their spacing. Um, they're the type of team and, and I'll get into some clips here in a minute, but you know, when you're preparing to play Notre Dame, you're really preparing to play a team that's been so well coached, um, you know, maybe a kind of a throwback team in terms of how Coach Bray has got his guys understanding how to play without the basketball. In this day and age with AAU ball, Jamie, you know, um, as well as anybody, you know, a lot of kids are so used to playing with the ball in their hands. And when you watch Notre Dame, you know, they're playing and they're moving without the basketball. Um, there's a lot of, you know, um, exchanges on the strong side, weak side. There's a lot of cuts. And a lot of this is read and reaction. And what Coach Bray has done is he could run, you know, the same quick hitters or the entries that he runs year in and year out. But it's not necessarily those entries. It's how his guys read and react, how the defense is playing, and that motion and movement, constant moving without the basketball that really proposes problems uh, for the opposition. And because of that, they can play inside out in a lot of ways. And when they do play with this type of great spacing and that they're going inside out, it opens up opportunities to get three-point shots, wide open threes um, by making that extra pass. And Coach Bray has done it, you know, as, as well as anybody in this league as it relates to teaching his guys to understand how to play. He recruits to that system, as we've talked about. Um, and again, his guys are very, very savvy. They're a difficult team to match up with because of all the skill in each position that they, they present. With that, uh, Jamie, I'd like to go through some offensive possessions here 
to kind of show a little bit more about, you know, Notre Dame and their attack uh, as it relates to their offensive identity. Uh, first and foremost, as we spoke about, you know, their trade starts with transition. And you'll see in this clip coming up here on a block shot, how quickly they advance the ball up the floor. And one of the things with Notre Dame is they'll run their lane. So their first big will go rim run right to the front of the rim. Um, as you can see, you know, uh, Mrs. Gibbs with the ball, his head is up right away. So again, you know, not, you know, looking to dribble the ball the length of the floor. He's looking to see who on his team is open. And if he can, looking to pitch ahead. In this case, it's a very, very good possession for Notre Dame as when he's dribbling up, the fact that, you know, the five man is running, you know, um, towards the front of the rim and, you know, the bottom defender in transition is going to have to pay attention. He's putting pressure on that bottom defender. You can't see him in this actual picture here. But as the clip unfolds, you'll see the fact that that big guy ran, rim ran right to the front of the rim. And then that cross court pass where Hub has his hands ready, hips down, and steps right into a rhythm three-point shots. That's how it all starts with Notre Dame. They will get out in transition, and they will look to run. And if there's an opportunity for a wide-open shot, again, the, the belief that Coach Bray has instilled in his guys and the confidence, those are shots that, for them, are rhythm threes, and they'll make more, more often than not if they're open. This next possession here, you'll see a rebound. And, you know, this is Hub now with the ball. And, again, you know, that little pitch ahead where it's kind of cross court really is a hard guard for the defense in transition. Anytime you can change sides of the floor uh, in transition with that type of pass, you know, now that the defense transition defense has to kind of react to being from strong side going to weak side. And it really, you know, is, it puts a lot of pressure on them. And here in this pitch ahead, Prentice Hub, you know, wide open, you know, uh, Wentz, you know, step in you know, for a wide open three point shot with that, you know, when you're coming in to Notre Dame and understanding that they've got so many weapons behind the three point line, you know, you've got to understand that when you're getting back on defense and we've talked about the rules, protect the basket, stop the ball and then find dangerous people before you, then you can engage the post finding dangerous people against Notre Dame is not very, you know, very uh, easy because they have so many guys that can make threes um, this year's team. And we'll talk about personnel, you know, they've got, you know, their top five returning three point shooters, you know, coming back. So there's a lot of offense out on the floor. This next clip, Jamie, what I'm going to try to talk about here and show is again, Notre Dame is not going to come into a game and try to trick you. But what they're going to do is they're going to run several different entries, but it's the fact that each one of these guys understands how to read and react to what the defense dictates. And so part of that's recruiting, you know, again, recruiting the system fits that coach Bray wants guys who are skilled, but also understand the game. They're savvy players. And, and, and the other part of that is, you know, really understanding I'm, I'm sure through a lot of drill work and video in this possession, they run a little basic, what we call, you know, pick the picker, screen the screener. And that action really doesn't get and trick anybody, right? But when the ball is entered, you're going to see here, first of all, four guys that, you know, were out near the three-point line. You're going to see Lesevsky, you know, basket cut, taking his defender with him. And then you're going to see the Notre Dame defenders kind of, you know, spread out amongst the three-point line, trying to get in his vision. They're not standing still. They're kind of sliding and watching you know, what the post player is going to do. Uh, that first cut, you know, Lashevsky finishes and then he spaces and he actually replaces himself right back out to that corner to the three-point line. And now you have a second cutter, you know, where now, you know, Hub, who reads his defender, his defender, if you can see, has lost vision with him. You know, he speed cuts to the rim, catches the ball, and then he feels all the defenders converging on him. So in traffic, he comes to a jump stop and Leshevsky, who actually initially had basket cut, replaces himself out to that three point line. He's an excellent three point shooter. So you have to close. And then on the reversal, you know, Gibbs with a great up fake and then rhythm mid range pull up shot. Vintage Notre Dame 
as it relates to not necessarily exploiting you on the initial quick hitting action, but exploiting you on any type of mistake or any type of read and reaction that the players feel like they can take advantage of. So very, very difficult to defend, you know, actions like these. This next clip here, um, you know, happens to be against when I was at Boston College is in a ball screen action. And in this ball screen action, you could see here as I rewind this, okay, you're going to see the two guys, you know, going from on the weak side, you know, exchanging. When they exchange, it causes confusion amongst our defenders. And so what I mean by that is when the ball screen initially happens and he comes off, there's actually what we call a stack side. And the stack side is now, you know, going, you know, towards that side of the floor. And so as the ball screen occurs, those two offensive players on Notre Dame just simply exchange. And as they exchange, it causes confusion amongst our guys at Boston College. And then again, you know, a catch and an immediate, you know, pass with Hub being, and the Notre Dame players are so well drilled at being shot ready, hands ready, hips down, and that the placement of the pass also uh, by Goodwin, where he hits Hub right on his shooting, shooting pocket, where he doesn't have any to have to waste any time to kind of go get the ball and gather. It's just too much, you know, for us to come from that, you know, help side position and get there. So again, very, very, um, you know, difficult to guard, not the initial action. It was how the Notre Dame players were moving without the ball uh, on the ball screen. And then the read and reaction on the catch and being shot ready in this next clip, you're going to see this same similar type of action, except now the stack side started actually on the strong side. So you'll see the two offensive players on Notre Dame, uh, Goodwin, uh, and I believe that's Jogo uh, on the ball screen. You can see those two players not being stagnant. They're moving. So in this case, Goodwin, okay, is actually replacing going from high to low and uh, Jogo is coming behind. And what happens is now on the ball screen, the coverage is actually punching over and, you know, kind of showing flat. But because of that little motion and movement, you know, without the ball by those two Notre Dame, you know, players, offensive players, uh, it takes away any type of weak side help defender and gives Leszewski an opportunity for an open dunk. Was it the ball screen? Not necessarily. It's the movement without the ball that gave that play a chance and really, you know, give uh, Notre Dame an opportunity to score an easy basket. In this next clip, you know, you're going to see Notre Dame here, you know, in what we would call a universal horn set, you know, pretty popular NBA set where you have two bigs uh, straddling the three-point line and, and two guards in the corner. Um, and what happens here is Notre Dame, again, there's eye contact made with Hub. And in this case, it's, it's Durham. Um, you know, who's being guarded by Mark Williams. And what happens is the Duke defender is kind of already in position to kind of show on this, what we would call horns ball screen action. And so when, you know, Durham feels, you know, his defender kind of cheating the play. So instead of being like, you know, in a ball, you man situation, the, the Duke player is a little bit over aggressive here, Williams. And, you know, kind of declaring that he's going to show here on this ball screen. And as soon as that happens and Hub picks the ball up, you know, he plants that foot and he cuts, you know, straight to the basket, you know. And now he's got the Duke defender, you know, on his hip and he's got an opportunity just to make a play in the lane right on top of the basket. That play wasn't necessarily, again, the action. It was how the Notre Dame offensive player read his man. And because his man was cheating, he reacted uh, that way. Read and reaction, very, very big. You know, again, skilled, savvy players uh, is what Coach Bray has recruited. And they're very, very good at what they do. In this case, it's uh, against us at Boston College. Same type of alignment, okay, in horns. And again, what happens here is, you know, we're cheating it again 
by showing a little bit earlier than, you know, the ball handler really hasn't even declared a side. He's in the middle of the floor. And on this one, because we're kind of cheating it, especially on this side of the floor um, with Luka Krasilovich, Mark Williams, uh, excuse me, Durham then feels it and he just straight line drives to the front of the rim. You know, we talk about, you know, getting off ball screens and really cutting hard in straight lines. I mean, great players play in straight line cuts. And that's a great example of how Notre Dame, again, the defense was cheating a little bit. And, you know, there was eye contact made with Hub. Um, and, you know, that was a great, hard, straight line cut getting off the ball screen to the front of the rim. And these are the kind of baskets that the action did not, you know, cause this. It was more of the read and reaction from the Notre Dame players. So with that, Jamie, I think if you think about Notre Dame and you're getting ready to play them and prepare for them, you know, understanding that your defense has to be extremely disciplined every possession, all five guys. And at some point, you know, during possessions, um, if one guy breaks down or whether it's transition or whether it's in the half court, Notre Dame will exploit those breakdowns and they'll make you pay. And that's why Notre Dame has been so successful over the last several years under Coach Bray. No doubt. And their success on the offensive end absolutely shows as to how they are tough to guard as he's continued to have that type of success on, uh, on that end of the floor. Um, but he returns uh, a ton of experienced firepower on the wings. 6'6", Dane Goodwin, 11.8 points per game last year. 6'5", senior Cormac Ryan, 9.9 points, 43 made threes. 6'5", senior Trey Wirtz, 8.3 points, 43% shooting from the three-point line. Rob, uh, Robbie Carmody comes back from Morris, Pennsylvania, former Pennsylvania Player of the Year. Um, what will the expectations be for this group um, as they have a, you know, a stable full of guys who can all kind of dribble past and really, really shoot? Well, Jamie, this year's team, you know, with what they have returning, to me, they're the sleeper team in the ACC. You know, with all the roster turnover that a lot of the, um, you know, the, the teams from last year, the upper echelon team ACC, um, you know, lost. You know, Notre Dame is one of those teams that really comes back with a lot of experience and veteran guys. And, you know, again, you add another year under Coach Bray and his staff's tutelage, and these kids are – you know, um, continuously reading and reacting to one another uh, with great spacing and great individual, you know, workout sessions, you know, they've got a lot of weapons with experience. And, you know, that's kind of the formula, right? You know, for, for an ACC team to try to climb to the top of this league, if you can get, you know, older, you get more experienced guys, guys who are battle tested and guys who are proven, you know, these five guys that they have returning, um, not even mentioning comedy, um, you know, the poor kids had a couple of tough years with injuries. And he was a kid that coming out of Pennsylvania was the number one ranked player out in the state. You know, he's a, a very, um, you know, a viable option, a really, you know, another good player that Notre Dame can utilize if, if the kid's healthy. Um, so, again, with those returners, core returners, uh, with the, that amount of skill, um, you know, that amount of, you know, three-point firepower, Notre Dame is going to be a very difficult team this year to match up with. And to me, they're my sleeper team in the ACC this year. We've mentioned all the returners they have who are coming back, the experience they have coming back on this team. Notre Dame also adds a big transfer, former Ivy League Player of the Year, Paul Atkinson. Now, the Ivy League didn't play last year, but two years ago, Atkinson averaged 17.6 points, 7.3 rebounds. He shot 63% from the field. How will he fit in to the minutes vacated by Juwan Durham? Jimmy, you add a kid of his caliber, you know, Ivy League player of the year. And when you think about that, you're thinking about, you know, a, a league that is very underrated. There's a lot of uh, exceptionally talented kids in the Ivy League. And last year with COVID, uh, the, the whole league was on pause, so he didn't play last year. Um, but having his experience and the success he's had uh, individually, um, you know, anytime you're putting up 18 points per game, again, you know, uh, in that league, also rebounding at a very high rate, 
uh, a young man that is, you know, skilled. He can, you know, knock down uh, 15 footers with great consistency. And with, with their individual instruction and Coach Bray's, you know, uh, drive to instill a lot of confidence, I'm sure he's going to be a kid, too, that will be allowed to shoot threes uh, this year. I'm sure he's continually developed in the offseason. So um, adding him to an already loaded lineup of skill and savvy and, um, you know, I, you know, with experience, he's going to be a, a huge piece of what Notre Dame is going to be able to, you know, to use uh, in that front court, especially with the loss of Durham. Um, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to be, you know, I think other teams are going to take notice, you know, right off the bat. This season, Bray brings in a two-man recruiting class. Uniquely enough, both rivals 150 players came from South Bend, Indiana, so he didn't have to go far to bring in the class. The number 103-ranked player, Blake Wesley, chose Notre Dame over the likes of Purdue, Xavier, Maryland, Kansas State. And J.R. Konechki was ranked number 127 by Rivals.com. The six-foot-seven wing chose Notre Dame over the likes of Iowa, Quake, Creighton, Butler, Maryland. What type of stuff, what type of games, uh, you know, Scott, I know that you've dug deep into what they're doing. What type of games do they have and what can we expect from this duo this season? Well, Wesley is somebody that I think is, you know, Blake Wesley, you know, from South Bend right there is a kid that brings a lot of athleticism to their lineup. Uh, You know, he's a young man that is long, he's athletic, uh, you know, he's versatile and he's got a tremendous first step and he really can get into the paint. Um, with a great feel for the game also. So when you take him and add him to what they have returning, he brings a whole nother dimension. You know, Notre Dame likes to do, as we've talked about on the defensive side, they do a lot of switching at times. And so he's one of those guys that's versatile enough to guard multiple positions, um, you know, very athletic. And again, uh, of all the guys returning, you know, he as a newcomer might be the best guy in terms of slashing and getting into the paint for them. Um, he has the ability to score at, at different levels, but I think his best attribute right now is his versatility and his ability to get in the paint and slash. Um, you know, the other young man, you know, I uh, I got to make sure Kinesni, Kinesni, excuse me if I'm pronouncing it uh, incorrectly, Kinesni uh, is another young man from South Bend, Indiana, who is an excellent three-point shooter. Uh, another young man who fills what, what Coach Bray, you know, has recruited, and that is, you know, he, he kind of is that guy that can pass, dribble, and shoot with a high basketball IQ, um, offers more versatility once again at 6'7", can play multiple positions. Um, you know, he understands how to play the game. So he'll fit in very nicely. Uh, again, we call that a system fit, great system fit for them. He will add this year depth and another weapon from the three-point line um, that Coach Bray has at his disposal in an already loaded three-point you know, line um, offensive attack in terms of those five guys returning. So both guys will contribute, uh, I believe, a lot this year, um, and especially with the experience they have returning. These will be great you know, uh, complimentary guys. And who knows, you know, as we've seen over time and time and time and time again, you know, some of these freshmen come in there, they're further ahead than you think, and they come in and beat other guys out. One thing you and Coach Bray have made a living on is recruiting under the radar guys and developing them. Uh, There's kind of a shift right now in the recruiting aspect. There's a COVID aspect overall, um, as well as the one-time transfer rule that has just been implemented uh, this coming year. Some kids in high school who are currently there, 2021 class, 2022 class, just haven't been seen by college coaches because of the transfer portal, because, um, you know, the COVID, they couldn't go out and recruit, live recruit, do all that stuff. I know you've been out. I know you've been looking at players and all that type of stuff. Um, One of the unique things that we both have is a depth of prep schools, both in the Carolinas where I'm at and up in the Northeast where you're at. Um, what have you, what are you seeing out there? What are you seeing out there in the recruitment? What are you seeing out there with players and under the radar guys? Well, this summer I had a chance to visit a lot of, uh, you know, different AAU tournaments and, you know, um, you know, kind of using this year as a, a year of being able to really go out and kind of spend more time on the recruiting trail, as well as, uh, I've been to a couple NBA training camps and, and as well as I'm actually planning some college visits early, uh, here to go visit some practices and see how some other guys do it. 
Um, but on the recruiting side of it, the one thing that stuck out, stood out to me from this summer to even right now, and, and you made a point about prep schools, there's so many players right now who have gone unnoticed, um, who haven't been seen, uh, with colleges giving the kids, you know, that bonus year, you know, almost classifying them as like, you know, uh, super seniors, you know, guys who have uh, been granted an extra year of eligibility, some of the, even the underclassmen, there's been like a whole generation of student athletes and not just basketball. It's, it's every sport that, you know, have kind of lost out a little bit on the opportunity to go to college, at least this year. With that said, there's a lot of kids who have gone to prep school. Um, and, you know, I've been out and I've seen quite a few prep schools and there is some, you know, talented kids right now that right, uh, who for whatever reason have never been seen, who have not been, you know, um, recruited and who are out there. And so there's a lot of what you and I would probably call diamonds in the rough uh, in terms of uh, the level of talent and recruits that are still available. And I think that's going to spill on, Jamie, for the next, you know, few years. I don't think this cycle, you know, of this class, I think it's going to spill into the next class and the next class. And it's really an opportunity, uh, you know, for coaches to go out and find the next, you know, uh, Jake Lehman, Jerome Robinson, uh, Pat Connaughton, as Notre Dame has done. Um, and, you know, if you can, you know, get out and you can see as many kids as you can during this time, um, I think there's a huge advantage to that because there are so many, you know, un under, you know, valued or under recruited guys, um, you know, not only through the prep schools, but throughout the country. I agree. Even specifying it down my way, uh, the schools that I've been buying stuff too. You have you have the likes Blue Ridge School uh, in the Charlottesville, North, uh, Virginia area, Hargrave Military, uh, you know, in, in the Southern Virginia part, Liberty Heights in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, Combine Academy uh, just outside of Charlotte in Lincolnton, North Carolina, uh, Winston Salem Christian, um, Quality Education Academy in North Carolina. The list goes on and on. But these are some schools that college coaches need to be hitting right now because there are 2022 prospects to be had. And there's a chance to typically, you know, in the past in recruiting circles and all that type of stuff, you'd have a mid-major coach saying, Oh, he's too good. I can't, I shouldn't go see him. Well, now's the time the high majors might be dropping to mid the bids might be dropping to low and there could be some mids and lows dropping to D two if they want to go that route. Um, you know, so the college coaches, th those are just some schools in my area that I've seen that have talent in the 2022 class um, where high majors all the way down to lows and D2s need to get by um, and, and, and look at those players um, just in this region. They can make a day of it. They can make a day and start in Charlotte, Liberty Heights Combine, um, you know, 20 minutes away from each other. Drive an hour north, go to Winston-Salem Christian. Drive 45 minutes north from there, Hargrave. And then an hour or so from there, Charlottesville hit up Blue Ridge. Make a day of it. Make two days out of it. But you'll be able to see a ton of people, not only 22, but 23 as well, um, what are some schools up there that you've seen who have talent available that, that coaches should be stopping by? Well, and, and I know too, I don't want to single anybody out here, obviously. Sorry to jump in. We're going to leave people out. There are going to be some schools that aren't, aren't set here and you know, that, that's going to be a thing here. Um, so, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but what are some schools that you've seen that coaches need to see? Well, Jamie, honestly, for me, the secrets of seeing a lot of these kids, you know, um, you know, I'll try to keep that as close to, to, to the best as I can. But, you know, there's numerous schools out here that have um, – it's a very fertile recruiting ground, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of schools out here right now that have a lot of kids who are under-recruited. Um, and, you know, there's so many prep schools, whether you're talking AAA teams like Brewster, uh, the AA teams, you know, like, uh, you know, Worcester Academy, the Darrell School. There's a ton of, of schools that have under-the-radar guys. Uh, and then you have the single A, the B, the C, D division. There's uh, a whole slew of players, uh, you know, uh, in the New England, you know, going into the New York, Jersey area, Pennsylvania um, prep schools that, you know, uh, are just being, you know, again, under-recruited. They're undervalued right now and they're underexposed. Um, the other thing I'll mention to you, Jamie, I think a lot of colleges right now, that transfer portal is another thing right now. But a lot of, you know, colleges, you know, I know we were doing it. Um, is you, know, you keep your eye on that too, because as your season unfolds in college this year, you know, you're looking at seeing, okay, um, you know, who might be something or what position we, we might not need to address 
not so much with a freshman, but with a transfer, an experienced guy. And so it really kind of changes recruiting uh, a little bit too. And again, it affects the high school kids uh, more than anybody because some of these kids you know, will be recruited, but it won't be till late. Um, you know, those two traditional signing periods that you and I both know in November and April, um, you know, the, the November period, you know, I think as you see is maybe, you know, um, it's, it's getting ready to you know come upon us, but there's going to be a lot of kids I would think are going to be signing late uh, in this year into April and May. And a lot of it has to do more with, you know, kids who haven't even been seen yet uh, who are still waiting for an opportunity or an offer. You agree with that? Well, yeah. So I'll tell you what I saw last year um, with this whole thing is right now, colleges aren't playing. So they're focused on recruiting. Um, they're focused on their team a little bit and stuff, but the games haven't started. So they're focused on recruiting. They're out seeing high school kids and all type of stuff. Their mind is on the high school kid. November timeframe is going to come. They're going to either get who they were recruiting or they're not going to get who they're recruiting. But at that point in time, they're going to be playing games. So their mind's going to be shifted to synergy. Their mind's going to be shifted to scouting. Their mind's going to be shifted to the college game. And the high school kids, at, at, you know, once the college coaches' minds have shifted to the games and they're playing and stuff, the high school kids kind of fall by the wayside. They don't, they don't, if they miss on a kid, they don't replace him with another high school possibility. They replace him with the guys that they're playing and scouting and watching currently. And then for the entirety of the season, going up until maybe up, up until the second, the head coach is thinking transfer, transfer, transfer. We want to get an older guy. We need an older guy. We need shooting. Um, we need this stuff because they're watching synergy. They see the clips. Um, they have a more true base, you know, because there's some projection involved with high school kids. If you're watching a college player, they're playing against at that level right now. You have more. Um, there's not necessarily much of a, a guessing game because you kind of know what he's already doing. The guy's been there before and all that type of stuff, too. So it almost went in waves, as I noticed last year, high school all the way up until November, November up until maybe February, March was college kids transfer portal. And then after March hit AAU got back in and then the mindset kind of shifted back to the high school kid you know, the, the unsigned senior quote unquote, um, you know, and that went all the way up until maybe even June ish with kids still committing and signing late uh, to colleges as well. Um, it's kind of the, the, the timeframes that I saw in the recruiting process with kids last year. Did, did you see the same? I actually thought more on the transfer portal, Jamie. I think that was like the big new thing. It was, it was that thing that everybody was kind of talking, you know, about and, you know, you, you saw these kids putting their names in the portal up until some of them in August. And, you know, to your point, every college, as we both know, is looking, you know, if they have a choice to get an experienced player, one who's battle tested, um, you know, one who you can kind of gauge what their game translates to in terms of what they've done in college to the point where they transfer. Um, but, you know, for me personally, uh, I would caution, you know, um, you know, in rushing to judgment on, you know, just relying on the transfer portal. I think there's something to be said, you know, as you know, for for a coach to build his program with his type of guys, um, the camaraderie amongst the team, um, you know, the personality of, you know, the coach, you know, with the kid um, and really enjoying his development both on and off the floor is part of being a coach. And, you know, for me personally, I think you can add the transfer portal in uh, depending upon your roster and where you are, you know, in your, in your program's tenure. Um, you know, if, if my biggest takeaway was when we had, were at Boston College, you know, we had, you know, we had, like we talked about year four, you know, you, you win 19, you know, you win two in the ACC tournament. You know, we took a program that was, um, you know, we were 0-18, you know, that second year, we really kind of built it up. And then when you lose a kid to the NBA early, uh, and we did that year, Jerome Robinson, now we didn't have a chance at that point to go find a kid that we could bring in as a, a la the transfer portal who would have impact but have multiple years uh, within your system. So, you know, I, I think, again, you know, every coach probably has their own style and what they're trying to do. Um, but that transfer portal has certainly uh, changed a lot of um, a lot of the direction of what colleges and where they're going with their recruiting. But for me, you know, I, there's something to be said about building your program and 
enjoying the ups and downs with the kids when they start. Um, and it's just a matter of trying to, you know, keep those kids in check, you know, so they don't leave if they, you know, if they have such unbelievable success and what's a lot of the mid-major programs right now are losing some really good players to high majors. And I think the Jerome Robinson story is a fascinating one that kind of encapsulates the entirety of this transfer uh, for portal situation. Y'all recruited him. You, you went in, you scouted him. You got a great evaluation. You recruited your tails off to get him. He comes in, he develops, uh, you know, as, into somebody who is able to leave as an early entry lottery pick. Then after he leaves, you kind of look at both sides of it. And I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to say panic or whatever the case, but you try to go into the transfer portal to get somebody who can take the place of what Jerome Robinson does, or do you go back and, and do what got you there by, you know, taking a kid, evaluating him, cultural fit, um, and developing him into what Jerome Robinson became. You know, that, that's kind of the, the, you know, the devil on the left shoulder, the angel on the right shoulder situation that college coaches are in and trying to figure out because this transfer portal is new um, as it stands, trying to figure out as things go um, with, with, with the process. Each coach, each program, Jamie, I'm sure it's more of a case-to-case basis. But for me personally, um, you know, I think there's something to be said about watching a kid develop over his time, you know, both on the court uh, and off the court. I, I think part of being a coach is, is that of being somebody that, you know, um, you know educates, you know, um, and enjoys the process of getting out there and really watching a kid develop. Um, and so those high school kids or those kids that come into your program that develop from when they first get there, um, there's something special about that. And, you know, good look, I mean, we've seen before, Jamie, you've seen AAU teams, high school, NBA, college teams, teams that have tremendous talent, but they're missing that chemistry, that chemistry side of it. And I think that's another component here that is really important to look at when you're looking at a transfer portal kid or whether it's a high school kid uh, and how the team is going to mesh. Um, you know, you look at Jerome Robinson, you know, he's a kid that obviously you and I both saw that uh, we had that same vision and projection with him back when he was coming up, you know, through high school. That's kind of how we really, you know, um, you know, uh, developed our relationship uh, to where it is today. And, um, you know, it was fun to watch him develop. It, it was enjoyable to watch him, you know, walk across the stage and be that, you know, lottery pick, uh, that first, you know, lottery pick in, in, in modern day Boston College basketball, you know, history. And, um, you know, the, the, the efforts that were put in, not just from me, Coach Christian, the entire coaching staff at Boston College, his parents, um, you know, trainers along the way, our strength coach, Patricia, everybody had their part. And that's just something special to be said about that in college uh, as, as a coach. And so, yeah, I, you know, that's a hard one, Jamie. Um, I think everybody, every coach is different case-to-case basis. Um, and I, last thing I will say on this, and maybe – you know, we can talk about this at a later date that, you know, for me, evaluating players, um, the, the thing I try to do, you know, maybe something somewhat different than others is watch how that player is used within their system. Right. So like some guys are showcase, some guys are, you know, given the ball, you know, some guys don't ever get the ball. Some guys play off the ball, but they can play on the ball. And I think that's a big key in recruiting and evaluating your talent and your players and putting together a team is to really understand and try to see past the system with what each kid plays in and see how that kid could play within your system. And I think that's going to, that's one of the things I've always tried to do uh, as a, as a, as a coach who's recruited over the years. And um, you know, I've learned a lot, you know, made mistakes along the way as a younger coach. And, you know, I think now you get a little bit older, you kind of have that feel you know, for what you're doing as it relates to, to the evaluation too. Jamie, this next clip epitomizes coach Mike Bray and what he stands for. And I truly believe this clip should be somewhere in amateur basketball where coaches of all levels can actually see what it's like to lose a very difficult game on the road where you blow a big lead up 17 in the first half and is frustrated and as upset as you were, to still be able to maintain your poise and composure and show the confidence and belief in one of your players after 
unfortunately you don't get a shot off and the kid's visibly upset speaks to who Coach Bray is and why his players love to play for him. In this clip at Georgia Tech, Notre Dame last season was playing for their, probably playing for their tournament uh, life. Uh, you know, they were four and six in the league and it was a game that they pretty much controlled throughout it. And as you can see in this last clip, last possession here, they have the ball and Georgia Tech is defending and Cormac Ryan for Notre Dame gets the ball in a position where understanding time and score, he's probably going to shoot the ball. And unfortunately, the poor kid doesn't recognize it and Notre Dame doesn't get a shot off. And there's visible frustration from players, coaches, fans. And at the same time, you watch Coach Bray as the head coach walk over to him you know, as they, when they finish, you know, kind of congratulating Georgia Tech and just look at him and slap him in the butt and say, it's okay. And I think for all coaches over the years, when you get upset, which I do, I'm just as guilty as anybody, sometimes learning and watching how others deal with a tough loss like this, you know, you can really take from it. And I've been to many high school games as you as you have Jamie, uh, AAU games and, you see coaches get so upset and, you know, as much as, you know, they're upset with the kid, it becomes a scene. And I think here you see coach Bray and how professional he is, how it speaks to the speaks to how these kids want to play for him night in and night out is because when he doesn't get too high, he doesn't get too low and he maintains his belief and his confidence in his players. And I think this is a great clip that illustrates, you know, uh, what this is all about in terms of, you know, the ups and downs of the game of basketball and especially with the stakes, the high stakes that there are at our level or in college at the ACC level and that a head coach and his staff and his teammates, you know, can continue to keep it together and believe it, show that they believe and they have confidence in their guys. And not to say this is going to happen every time, but the game after this, Notre Dame actually went to Duke and, Cormac Ryan, the same kid that was really frustrated and down, the same kid that Coach Bray went over to and slapped, you know, it's okay, I believe in you type thing, message. He actually scored 21 points in the first half at Duke, ended up with a career-high 28, and helped Notre Dame win at Duke. So, um, again, how you handle your players and how you deal with the, you know, the, the wins and the losses does matter. And I think this is a great lesson for all coaches to learn from. And that is, you know, as, as upset as we all are, as competitive as we all are, it is a game. These are kids. They are trying and try to make sure that you let them know whatever the outcome is that, you know, we appreciate their efforts and at least give them the same approach or at least cover it just like coach Bray did here by uh, encouraging him and uh, letting them know that you know, it's okay. As you mentioned, Jamie, we're going to touch on Notre Dame's defensive identity and one of the things about Coach Bray and his staff and the Irish is that they actually have a multiple defensive package. And game to game, you really don't know what you're going to get. You're probably going to get the whole uh, package at some point. However, just like any um, you know, other defense, if one defense, particularly man or zone, is working, uh, Coach Bray and his staff, uh, uh, they'll stay with it. And in this clip here, you're going to see Notre Dame in a straight man-to-man -man defense as it looks coming over half court. And you'll see them switching a lot. Now, there are possessions that they'll switch one through four, uh, you know, handoffs, ball screens, off the ball. Um, and in this case, they're actually switching one through five. And notice the communication here. And again, Florida State, you know, who was a, you know, tremendous team, uh, year in and year out, very, very talented. Uh, Notre Dame here is communicating all these switches uh, and really confusing, um, you know, um, Florida State in this possession. And you can see, you know, fingertips, you can hear voices, uh, ultimate communication here, big, small, small, big, it doesn't matter. Um, and they force uh, Florida State into a very, very difficult shot here, a uh, high hand contest. Um, everybody boxes out and their guards rebound. And it's those possessions like that, that again, when you play against Notre Dame, you know, 
defensively, you could see a lot of different looks in, as it relates to man, whether it's straight man, switching one through four, switching one through five. And so you have to be prepared uh, to, to, to face all of the above. And that leads me to my next point. You know, often as a coach in this, in this profession, especially as an assistant, when it's your scout or when an assistant coach has a scout, he'll bring in the scout team. And during preparation for some of these games, depending upon how much time that you have, your scout team will learn the opposition's offenses. And in this case, they'll learn the defenses. So there's a segment of practice in preparation for that team that you're actually um, playing the defense, different defenses that you might see, you know, in this next game. And so the scout team does have a lot of impact on winning and losing uh, college. And I'm sure even at the NBA level um, in terms of preparation. Here's another possession, you know, that you see Notre Dame here. And this time here, they're in their 2-3 zone. Um, again, you know, just a very straight, you know, kind of straight up 2-3, no real wrinkles to it. Um, you know, you'll see on the ball is reversed here. You'll see Lesevsky, the corner guy, kind of step up with his butt to the baseline and his arms out. And what he's trying to do is to prevent um, number four here for Wake Forest from passing it to that strong, to that what we call strong side corner or to that step out area. Because if it gets there uh, in a possession like this, it's really hard for the zone to recover. So it's what we call, you know, step up and bump. And what the bottom guy does here, is he bumps back. The guard actually takes it the top of the two, three, and they continue on. They keep their shape. Here's another possession to the wing. You'll, you, again, we talk about Notre Dame fingertips and voices. You see Hub's fingertip pointing. That communication is huge defensively, whether you're in man or whether you're in zone. And you can see Cormac Ryan here stepping up. And at times he might not even know there's a cutter behind him, but it's up to Hub and even Durham here, the five man in the middle, to let him know that if there is a cutter, you know, he doesn't have high eyes behind his head to talk to him. And he trusts his teammate. Trusting your teammates defensively matters a great deal also. So here's what we call the bump back, takes it away. Hub then takes the ball. They keep their shape in their 2-3 zone. And, uh, you know, it's something that, again, you will see different defenses against Notre Dame. They force him into a tough shot. Durham contested, rebound. So that's their straight, you know, 2-3. Um, There's also possessions that they'll go back in their package and, you know, they'll take the shape of a 2-3 zone here. And as soon as the ball gets to the elbow, the high post area, we call that the high post, anything near the free throw line or the elbows, the five man then or the middle man in the zone, whoever that may be, in this case it's Durham, will take the ball. Everybody else matches up to the closest man to him. Again, Notre Dame is well drilled, well coached as they are. You can see number 23 Goodwin pointing to the bottom forward on his side. And in this case, it's the Notre Dame number 13, Jogo, who has to recognize that. The way to take away that pass, because that is a little bit, you know, of a, you know, a different alignment, you know, the five man, in this case, Durham, has to pressure the ball up there. So he takes away that straight line pass, you know, to the bottom forward uh, for Miami here. But this, in this case here, they match up and they go man to man and it causes a little confusion. So Notre Dame will mix up whether they're playing man straight, whether they're switching, whether they're playing two, three zone straight up, whether they play two, three zone and go to man. There's a lot of different things to prepare for, you know, against them. And the last one, and not the only thing that they run because they do other things defensively, but here is their vintage one, three, one. And this is a little bit harder than it looks. And the reason it is because they put a six ten guy, you know, with a seven foot plus wingspan up top. And so, you know, again, attacking a one, three, one, when that top guy has that kind of length, it's really hard to, to reverse the ball. Like in any other zone, the key is, is trying to get ball reversal so the zone will break down and it's hard to reverse the ball without making it, you know, making the offensive man put a little air under the ball. And in that case, the zone gets a chance to recover by having a guy like Leshevsky up top. And here's what you see. It's just a straight one, three, one, making it hard for ball reversal. And in this case here, they actually recover to the corner. And again, you know, um, they could match up man. They could stay in the one, three, one. And, you know, in this case here, um, you know, contested shot, high hand, 
and you might see this package again against Notre Dame. The last thing I'll mention against them is when you're playing against any zone, whether it's, you know, Notre Dame's defense or whoever's defense it is, the one big constant that you stress as a coach is rebounding the ball. That's the disadvantage, especially in a 1-3-1 because, you know, you're spread out and guys are going to be crashing, you know, from different places and you're going to have to, you know, what we call smash down to box out guys in these possessions. And usually if it's a jump shot, we talk about long shots, long rebounds, but rebounding out of a 1-3-1 is a very big emphasis, you know, for all coaches. With that said, you can see Notre Dame is a team when you're preparing for them, you really don't know which defensive package they're going to go with for the majority of a game. So you've got to be prepared for all of them. And again, the value of a scout team, the value of that assistant coach preparing the team to get ready to play has a major impact on getting the, you know, the starters or getting the rotation guys ready so they're familiar with all the packages. Uh, again, Notre Dame does present a lot of different looks defensively. So in this next clip, you'll see Notre Dame take the shape of a 1-3-1. The hardest part of this defense against a team like Notre Dame, and they'll probably do this this year, especially with their experience and their returners, number 14, Leshevsky, who's 6'10", with a 7-foot-plus wingspan, it's really hard to, to reverse the ball. As a coach, you're telling the offense to make sure you get reversal against the zone so the zone has to move. And it is very difficult in this case to get the pass either over the top of Leshevsky or on a bounce pass because he applies such great pressure. You can see the Notre Dame players for the most part, especially their middleman and Leshevsky and even that wing, I believe that to be hub, to have their arms out where they're closing passing lanes and looking for deflections, not to give any type of uh, direct line passes. So in this possession here, you'll see it's hard to make that pass and by the time they do, they make the, the player here on offense step out behind the line of the ball, where now it's not really an attacking pass. And so it gives the time, the, the defense time in the zone to rotate and shift. And so, again, you know, you can see Leshevsky up top, great pressure. You can see how active they are in it. Corner guy, Goodwin here, closing out. He has corners. He takes a dribble. He bumps back to the wing now. It's hub, um, you know, probably here. You know, it's a little bit late, but again, it's a contest. And now you've got to rebound the basketball, which is a big concern for any coach when they play against a 1-3-1 is rebounding out of it, especially because long shots equal long rebounds. And at the same time, you know, a lot of that time, a lot of times in a 1-3-1, there are multiple players on the offense in position to offensive rebound where they get inside position or they crash from the perimeter. So that's a big emphasis too. But as you could see, Notre Dame is so well coached, they're so well drilled that any of the above defenses, and there's more, I mean, there's a lot more that they actually do. These are just a few examples of how you have to be prepared against Notre Dame. And again, I'll add this one last time, your scout team, as, as a college coach, high school coach, NBA coach, the one thing that that scout team does in preparation is they actually get in these different looks defensively so they can give the, the, the entire team, you know, some reps against the multiple defenses that you're going to face. And that's a big key uh, against a team like Notre Dame who plays multiple defenses. Right now, the transfer portal recruiting, that's something that I definitely want to dive into at a later date with you that we can have an entire episode on that and, and really, uh, you know, get it from every side. Um, but that wraps it up here for this Notre Dame edition of the breakdown. Uh, I am Jamie Shaw, my co-host Scott Spinelli. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Go back to previous podcasts that we've had. Duke was session two. Virginia was session one. Make sure you click on those. And we want to hear in the comments below from you. What do you think of Notre Dame, this team? What do you think of their personnel? What do you think of the X's and O's? Um, tell, us, tell us your thoughts um, on uh, what Notre Dame is going to do this upcoming season. Spinelli said that he was uh, going to be their sleeper team in the ACC. We want to know what you think. Make sure you rate us five stars. Make sure you subscribe to whatever you're listening to us on, whether it be YouTube, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you consume your content, please make sure you subscribe. Rate us five stars. Leave the comment below. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. For Coach Scott Spinelli, I'm Jamie Shaw. We'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.